0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 150, for Monday, July 19th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me, as always, is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Pixerefs. Hello, sir. Hello, and
1: uh, if you are keeping this podcast at a safe distance, then worry no more, because Joel and I record this at a safe distance of about a couple of thousand miles, but we are now both... (sighs) fully vaccinated and you can hear about our experiences with our second shots if you care to hear about that stuff in the render distance that's the extended version of the podcast that you can get every week if you are a patron of the show you can subscribe to our patreon at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to get all sorts of bonus features including access to our discord where you can listen to the show live like a bunch of lovely people are right now but the render distance will get you a little bit of extra Podcast above and below the main show, so that uh, you can hear about what we 've been doing this week, which is mostly taking it easy um, but we 've also had a cool discussion about uh, the after effects of what everyone is going through in the world right now and uh, impact that it could have on the environment if we uh, took some of the the effort that we are now putting into dealing with this whole situation and transferred it to uh, what is also becoming a uh, a rising issue and I say that as I, I wipe sweat from my forehead because it's really warm in my
0: office today. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look it up because you mentioned it. Four thousand six hundred and forty-two kilometers between Dartmouth and Brighton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, <laughs> that's, that's a there's
1: long a, way. A decent distance. I'm used to thinking about yeah. the Pacific coast of the U.S. because, of course, that's where my my partner's family is from. Right. But uh, yeah. yeah, there's uh, <laughs> there's there's quite quite a distance. But uh, you know, one of these days we'll uh, we'll find some excuse to lessen it and. Uh, that's, yes, that's indeed. a very good thing. So, um, man, uh, as as far as your Minecraft week goes, we've got a heck of a show to talk about. But first of all, uh, what have you been up to this week in the
0: Citadel? I have actually been really busy. Uh, I decided after my work on the Moss Farm completed last week that I would move over and do another farm. And I thought, you know, I should focus on the 117 stuff. Uh, I really was intrigued by tinted glass and wanted to use it in the Modern City, but also know that it's got some great properties for farms and. I happened to watch uh, an Mbon video about uh, a drowned copper farm. Uh, And of course, with the drowned rates going up as of uh, 117.1 that was released last week, uh, I thought this is even more appealing. And uh, in the process of looking for new blocks, we ended up finding a geode not too far from the modern city. I was looking near the modern city on purpose because that's where I feel like I'm probably going to use tinted glass the most, you know, for tinted windows, mm-hmm. for car, like all that kind of stuff. It, it has a very modern vibe to it, right? So uh, we found the geode, found it in an abandoned mineshaft, which was really cool, and abandoned mine shafts. Have spawners so within spitting distance uh, within 16 blocks of the geode are not one but two spawners one is a spider spawner cave spider spawner and the other one is a zombie spawner and after watching nembon's video i decided to turn this into a reinforcement zombie drowned farm Mm -hmm. and uh, there's probably different ways that you can express this um, farm but either way it's always about a six word title because it just does so many different things essentially you need a zombie to get it going and rather than trying to capture and name one and all that kind of stuff uh you can use the zombie spawner to power it so the zombie spawner part is kind of standard you drop them into a water stream you get them to where you need them to be uh, and then they pass in front of eight snow golems which beat the snot out of them with snowballs which don't kill the zombies but alarm them and cause them to bring in zombie reinforcements And Nembon goes into some very great detail in the video about where all the different places are that you can pull these zombie reinforcements from. But if you give them a dark area to spawn in, 38 blocks long, two blocks wide, in like two giant corridors left and right of of the, the farm, then as the zombies are going through the farm, they will constantly summon more zombies. And as the zombies get into the farm that you've summoned, they summon more zombies. So it really just kind of operates on a giant loop. Uh, I've seen it stop working. And I think it's just because it needs that constant trickle of like new zombies every now and again, in case the spawning algorithm just locates or spawns a zombie somewhere else. Uh, I am underground. I'm not doing this in a void farm like this. You know, the the example that you get from the, the world download that Dembon provided obviously is in a giant air space. But, um, it's been really, really cool, and I was surprised. I thought, well, this is going to be kind of inefficient because I'm building it underground, because it's my first time doing it, uh, because like I don't, it's probably not going to work as well as I as I think it's going to. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying I'm getting a lot of copper because we're still running 117 on the server, and it's still a pretty low percentage drop. But my goodness, are there a lot of zombies? Like it oh, really yes. works like a trick. Yeah. Uh, and so if you needed zombies for anything else, this would be the way to do it.
1: Looking at the reinforcements section of the Minecraft wiki, it goes into more detail about this. So there is a likeliness to call reinforcement statistics between 0 and 10%, uh, but there is like a 0 to 5% chance of one of these zombies spawning as a leader zombie, and they have closer to a... 50-75% to 75% chance of spawning reinforcements and so if they're getting hit multiple times by snow golems then they're spawning in reinforcements some of which then have a chance to be leader zombies and the whole thing multiplies exponentially at that stage and I, I remember watching Nembon's video and he said nobody's really bothered doing stuff like this with zombies before because the drops aren't very good and you know if you tried to farm iron the same way you may as well just set up an iron farm it's less hassle and you get better rates but now now that the drowned have copper as a unique drop that no other mob gives you uh it's a much more effective way of getting it if you want an af cable source of copper and obviously with looting you can boost the rates of that dropping as well and in as you said one seventeen one, it's going to be a much higher drop rate so i can genuinely see this being a viable method of setting up a copper farm it, it didn't seem like it was going to be worth it to me until this mechanic really came to light and now I've discovered a double zombie spawner a little while ago that I am definitely considering doing this with just on the grounds of it being, you know, a a resource to get hold of copper after you've done all of the caving in a certain area. If you don't want to go and dig up under other people on a server or exhaust all of the caves in a radius around your base and you haven't got to the point where you're strip mining for everything at that stage, then this seems like the way to go
0: yeah uh and and you could um multiply this like it's powered by the one spawner but there's no reason why i couldn't have three different channels running off of that one spawner randomly separating zombies into three different you know tiers of this farm and the download that nembon provided he had like i can't remember how many there were but like it was monstrous like it it just the amount of drown coming out of it were just ridiculous Mm -hmm. Uh, what i find so ingenious about this is the fact that the zombies are pushed by a water stream at their head level through cobwebs at their feet and so as they're pushed along they drown and they turn into drowned by the time they're done so not only are they being turned into drowned but while they're being turned into drowned they're being shot by the snowman so like it all happens at the same time um the one issue that i've been having which uh, did not happen in the in the world download uh, is a, a pile up at the end of the hallway um i still do need to double check some stuff but i like i went over this a number of times on stream i was actually bopping back and forth between the downloaded world that that nembon provided and and my stream and i don't know why that they're all bunching up my best guess is that the zombies that are coming down the hallway have picked a different block in a different location to try and path to so i i it i tried to make it look cool i tried to not like um clear out a huge amount of space i didn't have to uh, but I may have to go and look at zombie pathfinding and just kind of remove potential like pathfinding spots so that they're mm-hmm. not trying to walk from one block to the to the other but there's no there's no way to get to it like I don't understand why a zombie is trying to walk through a solid wall to try and get to a, like a block that it can't see you know from whatever. Um, I do remember that being a thing with um, the blaze farm that I built I had to clear out a certain number of blocks away from the spawning platform or the, sp- the spawning collection area because the blaze would attempt to path to a block because they can fly they just pick any random block and they would just kind of try to path to that mm-hmm. um and so you have to remove them so i have to double check that on the zombies so it, it's it's fast now but it will be faster again as soon as i sort out what's happening with with this pileup um uh, the other side is not so bad. It's only the one side. So I don't know whether it's my geometry that I've messed up or or what. Um, the other side, they don't walk right into the water stream. They kind of stop for a minute. And it's basically just like a, a one in, one out. So one guy walks up to the water stream and just kind of stops and goes, I'm not going in there. And the other guy comes up behind him and goes, yes, you are, and just pushes him in. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and then he stops and go, well, that was... That didn't look fun i'm gonna i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that <laughs> and, then, yeah, and then another guy comes up behind him and does the same thing so um but it was fun it was fun to have a technical project um i need to sit around and wait for two and a half plus hours for the amethyst um geo uh amethyst what are they called budding amethyst to produce their amethyst clusters uh to harvest i still don't have an automatic way of of doing that i think it's going to be mostly manual um because you do not get a high return it is It's I think it's a full stack of amethyst crystals gives you 16 tinted glass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's um, it's a little on the low side from a yield perspective. Uh, So the reason why all of this effort was put in is because it's next to the geode and you have to be close to the geode for it to to grow. So I thought, well, here we can sit here and farm for copper while our amethyst is is budding. Uh, and I'm hoping to have a decent amount by the end of this, but like, it's it's tedious to go up and, and harvest all the, the amethyst clusters. What's, what's your experience been so far with geodes and, and harvesting amethysts? Have you gotten into that yet?
1: I honestly haven't. I, I've not messed with it on empires because that's, you know, the... So it's been claimed by somebody else as far as like a resource they were going to farm and trade with everybody. And on my hardcore series I haven't really messed around with Tinted Glass much yet. And I'm I'm trying to get into the mechanics on that series that I'm not doing on Empires, but I have other objectives, and so I've just started farming bees for honeycomb and honey blocks, and I'm like, that kind of mirrors what I've been doing on Empires. I haven't really touched geodes at all. Um and, you know, I I've gone to go mining i found a couple of them maybe stripped out the calcite because that's not a renewable block and decided to keep hold of that but i haven't done much with the the crystals themselves i can think of a couple of ways of auto harvesting them but yeah from what i understand because you get so few from it being broken by anything other than a pickaxe, and you get even more from a pickaxe if you use Fortune 3, it's almost better to harvest them manually, unless you have a geode farm running in the background, like, forever. Like, you set it up as soon as possible, and you do everything else around that while it harvests the amethyst crystals for you. But, yeah, the, the general consensus I've seen online is that it's not really worth automating. Or if it is, you just put it on a, a slow enough clock that it's only going to harvest stuff every, again, like, couple of hours gameplay-wise to make sure that the majority of the crystals have grown. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like if you're if you're waiting for, like, two and a half hours plus to get everything up to that point, at a certain stage you just need to cut your losses and harvest what you can, and then, yeah. you know, hope that they have slightly better random
0: tick when they grow back, but... Um, yeah, yeah. I think the um the idea that we took a small sample size i mean the, the geode was massive it was going to be it's 20 or 30 blocks in diameter um but with with what we did we, we took four of the easiest ones to reach stripped them bare and then watched over the course of the stream and it was two and a half hours plus for it to all be i mean most of them had clusters but mm-hmm. not all of them um my my thought process is find some of the ones that are either the highest the, mo- the pain the most pain in the butt to get to and put those on like an automatic timer for like you know use some daylight sensors or something just just like build up you know observer clocks or something that goes for like t- you know two hours or something and have a couple of them on on auto. And then the ones that are easy to get to, just kind of build some elaborate staircase where you can just walk up to them easily and get them. Because the tricky part is, yes, you have to use fortune, but my fortune pickaxe is also something like efficiency five and mending, like it's got all this stuff on it. And um, I lost a budding amethyst block because I've got a beacon in the area for the mining and I just, it just, it was too fast and it ends up breaking the block. So um, I would be, you do want to do it manually, but you want to kind of set yourself up so you know you're not going to fail. Um, and the, I've got a big pool of water that collects everything below. So you don't have to worry about stuff falling on the ground. The problem is that you got to worry about stuff falling on other nodes. So like it falls on another amethyst, but a budding amethyst block, and then it doesn't hit the water and you're like, (laughs) Oh, it's such a pain. Uh, so I, yeah, I, it's one of those things where I really want to use tinted glass, but I'm not sure how much of it I'm going to, you know, accumulate on mass if it's this difficult to get. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think one of the things that is missing from
1: Redstone right now and I have a couple of ideas of how to get around this but it would really use a good compact solution is something that can count for you because like being able to have a block update with a certain like value Uh, would allow an observer to detect when something has grown multiple stages or in the case of copper, which is the example I'm looking at, uh, has aged multiple stages and then activate a redstone mechanism once it reaches a certain age and be able to reset. That is something that I'm trying to work on for a copper aging field where I'm trying to automate as much of the process as I can, like spreading out the copper blocks with a flying machine and then like waiting for them to age before they're retrieved from they're kind of like holding cells and I've got most of that figured out but the one thing I can't figure out in a compact enough way I'm working on something trying to use cauldrons for it right now but I'm not certain how that's going to work out um, is yeah it's just counting up how long it takes for the copper to age or the amethyst to fully grow and then having a way to extract it from that situation Um, and and so redstone needs something like that that like I, I was considering using Um, respawn anchors or something like that for a while because you can automate adding the glowstone to a respawn anchor and every time it changes a stage it goes through four stages and that increases a comparator output the unfortunate side of that being the only way to empty a respawn anchor is to die and respawn at it and if you use them in the overworld they explode (laughs) so they're not the they're not the ideal redstone component for a circuit like that and so yeah i'm i'm workshopping a few ideas right now but that's one of the things i think that makes it kind of painful is that the redstone you have to put around all of this amethyst if you're just monitoring a single cluster's worth of growth is so complex and then you're doing that for six sides which introduces obviously like you know the different sides of the faces uh into the problem it has to be fairly compact and the redstone just gets too expansive for it to really be worthwhile um Mm -hmm. so it's an interesting problem and i see people developing solutions to that one over time um but yeah there are ingenious folks in the community i expect they'll they'll get to it eventually um outside of the the honeycomb and honeyblock stuff i'm loosely uh planning an attempt to cross the void and get a light before my first dragon fight in hardcore and with a few safety measures in place so it doesn't go as badly as the honeyblock flying machine on on empires did um on empires i'm capturing more raid mobs to mess with my server mates which has been quite fun uh last week uh one of the other empires and myself got together and we basically dumped a ravager in one of mythical sausages wheat fields (laughs) and so it it ran around uh killing us through the fences most of the time but just destroying the crops as it went um so that was kind of fun and obviously yeah this seems like a, a grief but we figured a wheat field is you know easy enough to replant en masse that it just felt like it was it was doing a lot of damage visually but wasn't honestly doing anything that he couldn't fix within a you know a half hours worth of work and i'm pretty sure he now has those ravages captured and is planning on using them against us later <laughs> so it's 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 been a it's been a fun little back and forth um elsewhere on empires i am striving to become the most advanced civilization this week and i'm doing that just through getting as many advancements as possible <laughs> uh trying to go through some of the newer advancements from 1.17 and figure some of those out and also just try and you know progress a little bit get some netherite gear get a beacon that kind of thing and so yeah, I'm I'm currently working on a a good list of stuff that I can do. And it's difficult to do some of it because we have rain and storms disabled on the server. The weather cycle is turned off and we don't have a way to turn it back on other than admin commands yet. So I won't be able to get powder snow for the achievements related to that. I won't be able to get lightning for the achievements related to that, but pretty much everything else is on the table. So I'm I'm having fun with some of the new stuff uh and and revisiting some of the stuff that is trickier to get. I think I'm going to probably leave the one where you have to get all the status effects in the game including you know wither and saturation and blindness and all of that stuff but uh yeah i'm, I'm having a bit of fun with that
0: is FireTick turned off on the server too it is yeah so what was the reason for turning off the weather
1: um the weather was mainly just so people didn't have to deal with snow in builds on mountains because uh, like they, they didn't want that to necessarily be a part of their builds and putting string on every roof to make sure that snow didn't settle on it was just going right. to get old um right and, and it also helps with video as well, because the amount of rain that occurs with like the default textures on Java can really mess with YouTube video compression, regardless of like the bit rate you're recording and exporting at. When it gets to YouTube, if you're not watching that in 4K, then you're going to get loads of compression artifacts in the video. And so, mm. yeah, just not having rain in videos is kind of helpful sometimes, but... Yeah, realistically, it means that what I want to do with copper and having lightning rods and now having a channeling trident, we're probably going to end up installing the Thunder Shrine data pack they had on Hermitcraft, just so I can, you know, have a thunderstorm whenever I want and then switch
0: it off again by by sleeping. That's cool. Uh, I uh, <laughs> The Ravager thing had me thinking, like, did, did either one of the, the per- people involved in, in the Ravager prank um, have a bone meal farm to, like, potentially like leave a basket of bone meal behind and be <laughs> We could have, yeah. Um unfortunately, yeah,
1: bone meal is actually kind of a scarcity. There's a couple of folks who are in like the rival empires to ours in terms of like the story of the of the server, who Uh-oh. who are the ones who have a double skeleton farm. So I've been getting most of my bone meal just from dealing with skeletons around my desert for the most part (laughs) Um, Mm. and a decent chunk of them spawn there but I've gone to raid soul sand valleys for bones and I'm finding that creating scarcities like that by kind of going well the other folks already have that resource locked down so I have to go and trade with them otherwise I can't really get that in the conventional ways I'm used to for just taking like the easiest route to you know finding a skeleton spawner myself and setting up a farm for bone meal I find that it's actually making that server a lot more fun for me because i have to think of more creative ways around it and you start to use those mechanics in minecraft that you are less prone to mm. using like like going to a soul sand valley specifically to get bone blocks or you know you know sp- spending a bit more time manually farming some stuff like sugarcane i've been growing sugarcane manually along the banks of this river for a while but i'm not technically allowed to set up a
0: sugarcane farm because that's what pearlescent moon is doing so right so once somebody has a farm then it's kind of like to, to keep the spirit of the server going it's like if somebody has already said i am the sugarcane farmer then you're not supposed to set up your own sugar exactly yeah it's an it's, automatic it's, thing
1: it, it's it's kind of like a professional agreement sort of situation yeah. it's, it's not necessarily like Anybody would really mind if it was super necessary for what any of us were doing, but it's part of the fun.
0: It would be really tedious, but it, what I would do is like say if I was the first sugarcane farmer and I thought, this is what I want. I'm gonna I want a, a you know paper and sugar and rockets like I kind of want a corner on that market. And so I'm gonna start a sugarcane farm. The next thing that I would do would be tedious but I would travel as far as I could around everyone's bases and cut down all the sugar. cane. <laughs> right. like, I would just cle- like make it an endangered species that lived in my base. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be it. Yeah. Uh, that would be an interesting strategy. It'd be hard to do in Minecraft, because there's so many different ways to get you know the resources.
1: Yeah, and and you'd you'd have people waiting for a wandering trader to show up just so they could buy some sugarcane and start their own like you know pl- start planting their own again. It'd be uh, it'd be pretty funny. It's so, so difficult to do though, considering you know where people's territories are, but you don't know where else they're going to explore. Um, mm-hmm. I I have one of the major deserts on the server, but. Uh, when Fwip has been farming gunpowder and making TNT, he just goes out to another desert to get the sand. He's not going to come to mm. my desert for sand, but I can't stop him from going to a mining desert somewhere and getting it. So yeah, it's it's been fun though. It's been a fun little experiment and uh, we're all having fun with the the, the roleplay aspect of the game, I think a little bit more than we expected to. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how the alliances and stuff go and how the ravagers get used against me i have plans for some of the other raid mobs as well and, and and a few other things besides so i think my thing is just going to be like occasionally unleashing random mobs on
0: people just to see what they do Moving on to the news this week, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. There has been a experimental Caves and Cliffs snapshot released. New world generation in Java is available for testing. The article is on minecraft.net. We'll have a link to that in our show notes. With Caves and Cliffs Part 1 released, we're currently hard at work at delivering the second chapter in Caves and Cliffs Part 2, we're not only updating the caves and adding new mountains, we're also changing the overall terrain generation to make it all fit together. As these features will bring pretty big changes, we would love your feedback. Changes compared to Caves and Cliffs Part 1 include new world height and depth, new mountain biomes like lofty peaks, snow-capped peaks, groves, meadows, and snowy slopes, New cave generation, cheese caves, spaghetti caves, and noodle caves, we've heard about those before. Local water levels and lava levels in the underground. New cave biomes generate naturally underground and inside mountains. These include lush caves and dripstone caves. Natural variation in terrain shape and elevation independently from biomes. For example, forests and deserts could form on a hill without needing a special biome just for that. New ore distribution, you can see the chart on the article. Large ore veins, Integrated mountains, caves, and caves entrances, monsters will only spawn in complete darkness. I'm going to say that again. Monsters will only spawn in complete darkness. More on this later. Note, this snapshot is experimental and everything is subject to change. Some features may be significantly changed or even removed if needed to improve performance. Also keep in mind that this experimental snapshot is missing some important performance improvements that we're currently working on. So things may be a bit slow. The Bedrock version is also available on minecraft.net. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Same as the features listed above. It's all the same, except for if you're on Bedrock, you get access to Skulk Sensors and the Goat Horn. In case you missed
1: it last week, uh, the Echoing Void DLC was announced coming to Minecraft Dungeons. Uh, We briefly covered this We had to record a segment after the show because we realized that it had come out right as we finished recording. So this The Final Story DLC for Minecraft Dungeons, it's going to be released actually in less than 10 days. It's coming out on July 28th. So if you're a Dungeons fan, keep an eye out for that, especially if you've already bought the season pass for these last few DLC. The key art that you can see on the Minecraft.net article includes several never-before-seen Enderman variants, End Cities, and a towering creature, question? mark with horns similar to the redstone monstrosity potentially hinting at it being the final boss of the minecraft dungeons story arc there is also going to be a free content update for those who just enjoy the base game or want a little bit more out of the experience which includes the gauntlet of gales a maze-like mission with additional trials and puzzles along with a handful of new equipment and enchantments along with this minecraft dungeons ultimate edition will also be available from the release of echoing void and it's going to be priced at Uh, $40 US, $39.99, and includes the base game and all six DLC packs. For people who haven't bought Minecraft Dungeons yet, I honestly think this is kind of a steal. Uh, For those who already own the base game but haven't dipped into the DLC yet, all of the DLC is available as a bundle for $20, uh, again US. Uh, The article also suggests that Minecraft Dungeons is going to get more updates in future, although exactly what those updates will contain is currently unknown. If you want a little bit more information about Echoing Void, there is a short interview exploring the End Wilds, uh, also linked on minecraft.net in our show notes. Uh, And this is an interview with the lead designer from Double Eleven who collaborated with the Minecraft Dungeons team from Mojang on the development of the game, uh, which has a little bit of extra info just about some of the stuff you can expect to see, what some of the Enderman variants are, and uh, a little bit of a preview of, I think, the first level that you'll find on the end DLC. So as somebody who's really dipped into Minecraft Dungeons, this looks very exciting. Uh, We we briefly talked about it uh, last week, but um, yeah, it is great that the entire experience of the game is now available for 40 US dollars total. Um, Obviously, if people have bought the individual DLC, if you're buying DLC kind of a la carte as it's released, then you'll end up having paid like a a little bit more. Obviously, they're they're trying to make sure that the, the price is still enticing to people who haven't dipped into the game yet. But I would honestly think that the quality of Minecraft Dungeons is up there with other major studio releases that retail for like 60 or 70 bucks these days. Um, and it's not like a revolutionary title. People have said, you know, it's it feels like kind of diablo light for people who are just getting into this genre of game or wanted something Minecraft-themed. But, you know, it's not necessarily trying to break the mold. It's trying to feel like a classic dungeon crawler. And I honestly think it holds its own alongside the other spin-offs that Minecraft has had in the past like story mode, Minecraft Earth. I think this is genuinely one of the first really solid spin-offs that Minecraft has produced, the kind of thing that I expect people are still going to be playing, you know, 6 months to a year and beyond
0: from now. I agree, and I think that it's um now that they've got the the $40 price tag on the full um DLC combination um that is 100% worth it. I'm I, I don't want to I don't want the next version of, of things like this to cost $40 out of the gate but I was surprised it wasn't more than $20 when it first started mm-hmm. um uh because of what like especially once I get in I mean like I, I knew I was going to play because of you know obviously big into Minecraft and for this show and all that kind of stuff but I um I haven't spent a lot of time in Minecraft Dungeons but it's not because I don't like it, it's just because I just have limited time to play uh, and uh, I've been back and forth as to whether I want to continue to play on the Xbox or whether I want to continue to play on the PC. But uh, I I think that the end DLC, especially now that you've got the nether, the end, you've got all the different biomes kind of covered, like it really does feel like a, a complete uh, accompaniment to Minecraft, right? Like it touches on pretty much everything as far as... Minecraft Dungeons interpretation of the of Minecraft, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it, I, I want to also
1: it, highlight very briefly um, Mark Watson's thread on this earlier on Twitter where he, uh, I'll try and get a link to put in the show notes for this as well. He kind of mentioned that, um, you know, part of the reason that you don't see too much going on with features that they've put into Minecraft Dungeons immediately coming over to Minecraft is is like a lot about... The circumstances of developing the game, and you won't immediately see caves and cliffs stuff cropping up in Minecraft dungeons because. Uh, you know, they had the DLC themes locked in for a while during development, but they obviously oh, could sure. react to some of the newer stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting to see what they've cherry picked from each version to kind of slowly blend into the other. And I, I think Minecraft Dungeons does a really good job of taking the theme of Minecraft and the kind of feeling of exploration and loot and that kind of stuff and transposing those ideas into a completely different genre of game like this doesn't feel like a survival sandbox in the same way that the core minecraft experience does but right. what, what mark argues is that if you end up putting mechanics like crafting and all of that you know infinite exploration into minecraft dungeons it just feels like a weirder version of minecraft that's not quite as good <laughs> so for yeah for dungeons yeah, yeah. to have its own like personality and and gameplay feel it can't just be everything you love from minecraft because then they'd just be making minecraft again just with a different perspective
0: oh no and yeah i I wasn't trying to suggest that it was supposed to be like a one-to-one but i just i like that it runs parallel to it nice and it it, like it's tidy it has its own imagination but it it feels because i mean like if you go if you've played minecraft long enough and then you go to play minecraft dungeons and if there was no nether and no end you just like, hmm, like it, it's cool, but like it's kind of missing something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because they've now touched on both the Nether and the End, or soon will, with the End coming out on the twenty eighth, I think it is. Yeah, um, yeah, like that, like that kind of stuff. I think is is really brings it full circle. To to focus on some of these screenshots in in the article, uh, the interview that you you put in the show notes, uh, uh, exploring the End Wilds, um, it it's an interesting color. Like it's got this weird kind of like jade green bricks to snot green bushes and Mm -hmm. grass like it it takes if you think that endstone looks like cheese wait until you see the moldy grass (laughs) (laughs) in 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 these screenshots and i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying like it's a really interesting combination of like black endermen with purple eyes and glowy fists and neon green plants with like these kind of like yeah it's like snot green um grass and and other accents and things like it's really interesting and this is like when they did the nether update um to minecraft the nether dlc for dungeons had come out after obviously they were being developed probably around the same time um but this i mean there's been no word of any update to the end in in minecraft for a long time uh so having this come out first it kind of makes you wonder whether down the line, uh either inspired by or again to run parallel to, to have a not have a better way to say it, if you're if we're gonna see some of these things end up coming to um to Minecraft in terms of sprucing up the end.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's it's feasible and it's while Minecraft Dungeons obviously has a lot of its own approach to generating environments like the the sheer amount of block variation that you see in the environments goes beyond anything that we have in minecraft right now if you just look at like Mm -hmm. the use of sandstone bricks in the desert temple level there's so many different variants and like slightly sandy blocks and stuff that we just don't have access to in minecraft without severely retexturing half of the block palette Uh, i think it's still kind of exciting to see The directions they're taking things in terms of the colors that are involved and you know the the kind of the the thematic elements they're introducing more so than the individual blocks themselves could give us a a hint at where some of that stuff is going it seems like they're taking the mechanics of vanilla minecraft and and bringing them into dungeons in interesting ways as well the interview talks about there being shulker bullets that still levitate you but then you have to kind of use that to your advantage in climbing up to inaccessible areas of the level so you can't defeat the shulkers right away it's actually more advantageous to actually use them to traverse the level and the same goes for elytra you can dive with elytra and do like a almost like a mario style ground pound um which is going to be super fun but then you're gliding between platforms using uh, a few of those you know elytra abilities to to get from section to section in the level so yeah it, it seems like they've taken a lot of the stuff that's established about what you can do in the end in minecraft already and just dressed it up with all of this fantastic new flora and fauna the enderman variants look genuinely scary there's one that's just covered Mm -hmm. in eyes which is probably the most unsettling thing i've seen done with any kind of like minecraft format and so yeah there's there's some some interesting stuff waiting for us in the end wilds i think um let's dress the elephant in the room though uh, because we haven't talked about it yet and i feel like the audience is probably champing at the bit to hear our thoughts experimental snapshot uh we've both had a chance to dive in at this point and we're going to be reserving some of our thoughts for after the email segment because we wanted the community's thoughts on this as well and it's going to feed into our our main discussion but uh just to to kick us off how how much time have you spent have you done like a couple of streams now uh i i presume that's where you've been exploring
0: most of it Yes, two streams. Uh, Second stream was a little bit short because it was the day that I ended up with my COVID vaccine. So I was a little bit tired that day. Mm -hmm. But I want to say between five and six hours total. Uh, The thing that hit me the most was the intention to do a stream, explore it, maybe not invest too much uh, in terms of building and stuff because not knowing what was going to happen in terms of, could I build a house and have, do I just have to redo all that in the next snapshot? Like, can I carry things forward? So I didn't do anything like that. I just kind of like, we spawned near a village. I stole a bed, got some food and hit the road uh, with all of the intentions of going through the checklist uh, and and uh, seeing what was new. Uh, didn't get past the first bullet point. <laughs> I spent three hours walking around going, oh, wow, well, that's a big hill. Oh, wow, that's another really big mm-hmm. hill. I really like that one too. It was just endless. 4,000 blocks in four different directions, just kind of wandered around and loved every minute of it. It was a really cool conversation. I don't remember all of the things that were said in chat, but um, a lot of times, and we'll get to this later, a lot of the questions in chat were about the light level changes. Uh, a lot of the questions were about like caves and stuff like that. And the problem that I had was early on without, I didn't stumble upon a giant cave Uh, and turns out there was one like a couple hundred blocks from spawn just in the one direction I didn't go Um, but I found a lot of the cave access was like waterlogged and so having just a bed in my bare skin I like I couldn't really get a lot of exploring done uh, underground but it turns out like I was just just as happy to explore above ground and some of it was this combination of biomes that I don't spend a lot of time in like forest badlands and stuff Mm -hmm. um combined with this is a giant mesa like this this you know the the image and the um the thing that we spawned in front of was just massive like it was completely overwhelming and it was that there was a village at the base uh and uh everything else was just like everything had been tugged up you know by a piece of string uh and it was really really fun to explore and i really enjoyed i think from an artistic standpoint it the blending of biomes like things did not feel like stamps it wasn't like desert forest another desert like it just it really blended into one another to the point where like you'd have a jungle that would like trickle down to a riverside and then on the other side of the jungle there'd be a desert but then leading up to the jungle there would also be a forest and they would kind of like mesh together as they went up a hill Uh, and i thought that was really interesting Um, in the second stream we spent more time underground uh, and did more exploring that way. But, and, and I had seen more of that. Cause I think some of the snapshots that we were getting earlier in the year, a lot of people that I was watching on YouTube were going underground. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I've seen more of that. Um, but, but yeah, the, my first impressions were, um, and again, I don't, and this is where I think we can change the way that this word is used. A lot of times when people say like, it feels modded that it's using it, in a negative way, like they're using it to describe something that feels like an easy button or to um, to reiterate the point that Brandon made on the show a couple weeks ago, uh, it feels like someone has added something to the game when it's being called, it feels like modded, where it hasn't gone through the iteration. It hasn't yep. gone through the thought process that Mojang would then apply to anything that they're seriously looking at adding to Minecraft. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this feels like modded, but in a good way. It feels like walking around in biome bundle or some of the other um terrain mods that I've played in All of Fabric 3 that I feel improve the way that Minecraft looks and feels. Uh despite Minecraft being a blocky voxel world, you can do things with it that make it feel way more natural. Yeah. And and I feel like this is something that really touches on that.
1: Yeah, I I think having spent a a video and a stream in it myself, so probably about the same amount of playtime you have I think the main thing I'm taking away from this, the overall feeling, is that this is a pretty audacious snapshot. And I mean that in a good way, uh, <laughs> in the sense that they are making some bold decisions with this. And it's funny that you mentioned most of what you've seen previously was caving. Uh, is because caving was the only thing that had changed. But now the hmm. surface has changed as well, which is entirely not something I was prepared for them to do. And I'm very happy that they've, consider doing it even once again the the wording of the article where this was announced says that this is experimental everything can change this isn't even like the usual formatting for the naming of snapshots because they don't want people to think that this is just how it is now and they're going to iterate from here a lot of what we're seeing with the terrain might end up being backed off rolled back just incorporated into what we think of as minecraft's current terrain generation um, or even removed entirely because performance is an issue like they've said but it, i think what they're doing right now is it's a big move it is a shift from one way of doing things that we've kind of had for a while i mean even since they've they did the update that changed the world uh, back in 1.7 i believe the one that added sort of mesa biomes and stuff like that and a, a bunch of other stuff biome wise this is a major shift in the way terrain generates but not necessarily through the addition of more biomes it's messing around with the height values and the kind of stuff that people used to do a bit more with customized and amplified worlds tweaking those sliders to get something completely different um i will encourage everybody to follow henrik niberg on twitter um because he has been working on the terrain generation for java i'm not sure if he's the only person working on it but um he is definitely the one who's posting publicly the most uh screenshots side by side comparisons uh and and feedback threads. So he's definitely one to watch if you're interested in the way terrain is developing. Uh he had a thread this morning about how beachy beaches should be and had like a side by side comparison of a beach where the biome width was increased so that sand ran really far into the land versus just kind of on the fringes of this dark oak forest and kind of touching on a coastline and i think yeah stuff like that is really fascinating to me to see the iteration process that you're talking about at work um and we're hoping to have henrik on a future episode of the show so he can talk a little bit more about some of the the changes that he's been making now that they are starting to to come out as a a more public thing Um, It's also worth noting, before we move on to email here, that the Bedrock version of this new 1.18 world generation is in the Experimental Features toggle in the options and not uh, the beta versions, so it's accessible to any version of Bedrock Edition, including uh, iOS, PS4, and Switch, which normally don't have access to the betas. Normally betas are restricted to Windows 10, Android, and Xbox, but now... Uh, any version of bedrock has access to this through that experimental features toggle so um, back up your worlds obviously before you decide to to switch this on for something that you care a lot about because it's gonna break a lot of stuff i would expect but i think it's really cool that you can have an expanded pool of feedback from players on platforms that don't normally get to have access
0: to beta features What do you say we read some of these emails?
1: Absolutely. Let's do it. Uh, If you're interested in emailing the show, and we would love to get more feedback on what you guys have been doing in the experimental snapshot, if you've had a chance to check it out, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The first one comes in from Rakuta, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord, and the subject is potential rare caves and cliffs biomes. Hi PixelRifts and Joel, with the latest experimental snapshot for 1.18, introducing new terrain generation and having biomes be independent of that generation, I was thinking this might be a good way for Mojang to introduce rare caves and cliffs biomes. For example, if a cliff forms next to an ocean, the game could decide to make this cliff be a new rare biome made of calcite. It could look like the white cliffs of Dover and provide a new way to mine calcite in large quantities. Underground rare ice caves could be found under snowy areas made of blue ice and have blue ice stalagmites and stalactites. Wondering what your thoughts are on the chances for new rare biomes that are related to the new World generation. I can't think of a clever sign off, Rakuta. <laughs> well, you're, you're uh, unique in that aspect. I feel like we're getting more and more clever sign offs each week, but uh, thank you for keeping it real, Rakuta. Um, as somebody who lives down the road from Seven Sisters Country Park, which is the location that people tend to use to represent the white cliffs of dover in uh media where it's not like modern day like if you're looking at you know period dramas where dover is meant to be involved they actually use seven sisters country park instead because there is less kind of urban development around it it's you know a protected area and so you tend to get more you know clean aerial shots of it without without having to like paint out all of the kind of buildings and stuff in the background. Um, I I am fairly attracted to the idea of calcite in cliffs. Personally, I feel like it removes half the reason to find a geode, though. And that's one of the difficult kind of gameplay balance things of like, this would look really cool, but also I know a good handful of builders like myself who are just hunting down geodes for calcite and leaving the amethyst portion of it behind. And so running into one of these things would be cool, but I also feel like once you find something like that, it feels like such a part of the natural world that maybe you don't want to tear the entire thing apart just to get some, some resources, especially if it's new. I remember people, when mesas were introduced, not wanting to take apart the outside of a mesa because it looked so nice and wanting to preserve yeah. it as a, a beautiful feature of the Minecraft
0: environment. Yeah, when we find, like, uh, I think it's the Extreme Badlands which looks like uh, Bryce Canyon. Yeah, in, in, it's, it Eroded uh, Badlands, Utah. I think is the... Yeah, Eroded Badlands, thank yeah. you. Uh, yeah, like that, that kind of stuff. The the, the mode operandi up, on a server for us is just like, mine the inside. Or just don't... Go find another body. Like, find a mesa that we've already put a dent in and just like clear-cut that. You know, like, don't don't mess with the ones that, that look like the Roadrunner cartoons because they look really, really cool. Um, I'm with you on that. I think that it would be neat to see the White Cliffs. I guess the one thing would be like, if the calcite was four or five blocks deep you could kind of like carve it out without removing the cliff you know you mm-hmm. could c- c- dig on the inside and on the outside um but i'm with you i think that i mean by putting those kind of famous things in the game you remove a player project or a potential player project for people that want to grind out that many geodes mm-hmm. and have the flex of having the white cliffs of dover uh, and really, we're already getting. It looks like seaside cliffs in the um, 118 snapshot. Like yes. some of the, the some of the cliffs that are, are oceanside ocean side are real like things that I hike on here in Nova Scotia. Like you're talking, you know, um, 30 blocks sometimes straight down, almost straight down. Which I like that it's not straight. Like there's just a little bit of a of a curve to it or a slope to it. And and, and it looks fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, I have a really good example of this that I'll put in the uh, screenshots will include in the show notes. Uh, there is a mm. brilliant cove that I discovered while flying around in spectator mode that just looks spectacular. And like you said, it's not like a sheer cliff. So there is still a chance of you landing a boat there and finding a place to climb up if you needed to. But also mm-hmm. it's a stone shore biome i think that has generated this way and with the extra height it really feels like it's bordering the terrain uh from the ocean in a a way that feels a lot more like natural geology and i honestly think this biome further down the line would be a good candidate for an overhaul and i've talked before about having cliffs with like stratified veins of stone in them like built up like sediment over time and I think mm-hmm. the problem with that is that there isn't a huge amount of sedimentary rock in Minecraft because it's all like uh it's all metamorphic rock. It's all, you know, andesite and granite and the kind of stuff that forms in volcanoes rather than being on um, you know, shores like chalk and I think sandstone is probably the closest thing we have. Uh yeah. but but you don't necessarily want them to be sandstone cliffs. But I, I no. still think generation like that just looks superb and is a, a really nice
0: Uh, side effect of all they're doing to increase the terrain height yeah the closest thing that we would have in Minecraft would be the terracotta layers I think Mm -hmm. for sedimentary stuff Uh, for people that are looking for that kind of reference in real life check out anything uh, from the Bay of Funday uh, specifically the New Brunswick side but also Nova Scotia's got some decent stuff too um, because it's the highest tide in the world. They're 10 meters. So at low tide, you can walk on the ocean floor and see all the sediment and all the, you know, the, the different layers to the rock on the cliffs and that appear like right next to the ocean. And some place, places, they're more than vertical. They're actually like acute angles. Yeah, they're like <laughs> they concave go almost. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they, go, they, they go backwards. It's really interesting. Um, before we move on I want to give a, a quick shout out to uh, Rakuta that is a typo my fault uh, Rakuta is an ore producer on uh, the Spawn Chunks uh, Discord oh, there uh, we, go. I, we, we use a template when I import emails and I forgot to change the, the part that said landscape artist that's my fault uh, so thanks again uh, for the email uh, Rakuta um, I do want to chime in and say that I'm all for ice caves all of the time anywhere uh, I just don't know if you want to have them be like too rare or too limited um or if like I'm, I'm questioning this like i don't think i want to run into an ice cave under a desert yeah like, i don't think mm-hmm. that that's an experience that i would want and i also don't want to just have them in mountains because mountains are really rare so i can imagine maybe restricting them to only happen under biomes where there's snow anyway like snowy taiga or anything like that um, and I would imagine that if they did exist, they would be a combination much like a lush cave is a combination of a lot of different things. I would imagine that there would be flowing water, snow, packed ice, blue ice, flowing water. Um, people say, "Ah, you can't have snow underground. I say it's Minecraft and things float. So why not? <laughs> uh, like it just th- that kind of thing, I think you'd have spray from natural springs that would just freeze in the air and create like small little ecosystems and whatever. I, I think it would be really cool. I don't know about any kind of frozen plants or anything like that. Maybe some dead bushes or something. I feel like there'd be a unique way to add something in there. That would be kind of cool because again, we've got skeletons and zombies. You can kind of create something um, imaginative in in an ice cave. Um, But I feel like you've seen this in snapshots before by accident.
1: Yeah. Um, Ice and snow generating into caves in those new mountain biomes has been happening both when mountains were added to the Bedrock Edition beta and now in this experimental snapshot. Like I've run into a couple of places where because of the way this terrain layers up, it seems to have generated a layer of snow in a cave as though it thought oh this is the surface i'm going to put snow down and then something else has formed up over the top of that when the world has been generating and i don't know how it does these passes of generation so i'm not certain exactly which of these stages has led to there being snow inside a cave but it happens um i haven't seen ice necessarily but this is happening more as a happy accident of terrain generation code rather than it being a distinct biome which is Kind of what i'm getting at and it's not just the snow caverns as well like when i was exploring the snapshot for a video i found a layer of sand in a cavern thanks to a deep warm ocean biome spawning above it so it had generated the sea floor uh at something like you know y 32 and then maybe you know 32 blocks even below that it had it had formed this layer of sand in a completely unconnected cavern And as I swam down into an aquifer, there were still tropical fish spawning (laughs) and stuff. So there's going to be some wacky stuff happening. And I think it's largely because the individual caves themselves don't have any kind of biome of their own. Like the caverns themselves are not a biome. They take the biome from the surface and apply the same rules that it has. And it's only different in the case of lush and dripstone caves, which are individually layered biomes so you can have something directly underneath something else with ice caves they're kind of an accident right now and i don't expect there to be formalized biomes for this kind of stuff especially not in 1.18 i don't expect they'll be added for a while but the fact is lush caves and dripstone caves are a proof of concept for stuff like this they they at least show that underground biomes can work as a concept and then if they want to expand those with a future update then like they can just tack on another couple of biomes to caves and suddenly that underground landscape becomes exciting as though they've just added a couple more biomes to the surface or you know the nether update added several biomes to the nether it can be the same thing but for the cavern layer in the underground now
0: next email comes in from cosmic dancer community minor member and of course moderator in our discord how much lush is too much lush uh, hi guys Like I imagine most people have since it was released, I spent a lot of last week wandering around marveling and pretty much saying wow a lot in the new 1.18 Experimental Snapshot. I wanted to share my own feedback and experiences. From the moment I spawned into the world, right next to a river nestled in between two gigantic hills, it was just one beautiful picturesque view after another. My inner photographer was very happy. The landscapes just look so much more natural and really easy. Uh, It's really easy to imagine creating wonderful builds around these new landscapes and heights. The snowy mountains and their new heights also work brilliantly, especially with the trees densely covering parts of them. I appreciate this is still an experimental snapshot and all things are subject to change, but I'm excited to see where it goes. My only issue so far would be that I'd like to see the frequency of lush caves dialed back a little bit. They are my favorite new biome, but when exploring underground, it felt like every time I turned around the corner, there was another lush cave. Some more variety would be great. When Caves and Cliffs was announced, are these the sort of changes you had in mind, or do you feel Mojang have gone above and beyond? Thanks for the wonderful podcast. Stay chunky. Cosmic ran off into the flowers and was never seen again. <laughs> that's that's not a death message so much. It is a a bliss message, I
1: think. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think you can probably speak to this with your experience, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into again in a in a second. But um, uh, yeah, in, in my experience, lush caves do seem, if not just frequent, then also fairly expansive. I think of the two cave biomes. They are the one that seems like it generates in the most explorable areas. Um, I found way fewer dripstone caves than I did lush caves, and it may just be because the lush caves stood out more. They are quite a, you know, a, an immediate recognition uh, in in the exploration of some of those caverns. But yeah, you you don't really see much else like them. Whereas maybe dripstone can catch your eye, but it might be that it looks too much like granite or something and you don't turn in, in that direction. You see a pop of green underground and it, it feels very different to the rest of the environment. Um, it It stands out. And I also think there's a heavy element of chance playing in here because in my first experimental snapshot world, I found a couple of lush cave biomes from the surface uh you know i I looked down from my the first hill that i climbed and there was just this kind of tray of water with clay and drip leaf and everything and i thought oh cool a lush cave i went exploring the overworld a bunch and then dug down somewhere else and i couldn't find a lush cave at all uh exploring a cavern for about an hour um and i was traveling pretty far through that and, and as fast as i could really mostly to avoid mobs um but I, I think it's one of those things where, like how jungles are often difficult to find in a random seed world, but then other times you will spawn in a jungle and suddenly it's everywhere. I, th- I think a lot of it is down to chance and the way the world generates based on the seed and the fact that lush caves are really only one of the, the one of only three options that can really happen underground right now. Uh, how about you, Joel? How many, how many r- lush
0: caves did you run into, or did you lose count? Well, so this is the thing. The way that I look back on it, I don't know whether I found 20 or whether I just found one that went on for yeah. days, mm-hmm. right? And and I think we did come up and surface travel for a bit. So I think this I think we did actually go into two situations where there was a lush cave, but uh this is not the first time like in members of my discord as well have also chimed in and said like, "Yeah, no, I'm running into them a lot." And they're pretty I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but you feel almost guilty because you're doing the stream for like two hours of lush caves and you're just kind of like i'm kind of done with the lush caves like can i see something else now <laughs> like it just and it feels so like just like you're you're full of it right but it it um it was something that we saw a lot of uh, i definitely ran into a couple of big ones uh and so it might feel like there's several but i think because of the way that the underground biome works like you might um go through a lush cave, enter into a spaghetti cave, go down and around the corner, and find what you feel like is another lush cave, when really you're just entering the bottom part of the one that yeah. you just walked. Yeah,
1: you're, you're just you're just you underneath know, the area you've been. Yeah,
0: yeah. exactly. So because it's really easy to get turned around, you know, when you're when you're underground in these big caves, like it's just that the, the t- you're not noticing the curves because they're so big and they're so wide that you don't realize that you've turned 180 degrees. Right and now, you're mm. traveling ex- like backwards in the same direction. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I will say that some of the things that impressed me most about the Lush Caves were things like having them open to the air. Being able to see a Lush Cave when you're standing on the surface was really neat. Uh, that was a fun experience. Uh, I ran into one uh, where the Lush Cave had broken through into a uh, Mesa, uh, a um, forested Badlands Plateau. So like it was really high and then we went down into the lush cave and so like there was daylight so like part of the lush cave wasn't lit by glowberries; it was lit by the sun and a sizable part of it uh which is good because the rest of the lush cave was covered in creepers and zombies and so <laughs> i had to get them to all chase me into the sunlight so at least half of them were lit on fire so i could see them um but uh i i really enjoyed the feeling of going through them i found them pretty dense and uh i think that for me, my experience was the opposite. I had to go at the end of the stream and do a locate biome to try and find a Dripstone Cave, mm-hmm. we, and even then, the one that we found was kind of lackluster compared to the 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 size and the scale and the the complexity from a geometry standpoint of the lush caves the dripstone cave was like it was like 10 blocks in the corner or something like it really it didn't really strike me as any kind of vast like limestone cave that you've seen on nature documentaries or in some of the screenshots that we've seen from mojang before um now and that's anecdotal i mean like i if i had spent more time and transported myself to more um dripstone cave biomes then maybe i would have found more um, but yeah, I, 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 did find that the lush caves were, were more numerous. The thing uh, for, to address the second part of cosmic's question, which are probably going to lead us into our main discussion. I, I feel like this is above and beyond what I expected, uh, because Mojang had said that they're going to add mountains. And so I anticipated those parts of the world to be pulled up. Yeah. Right. I didn't expect everything to get a topographical change uh i i knew that they were going to have to do something along the terms of underground biomes much like they did with vertical biomes in the nether in order to achieve the dripstone caves and the lush caves but i did not expect them to change the way that biomes worked on the surface entirely like they are not the same Mm -hmm. not the same at all uh and i think it works uh to the player's advantage, like it really does change the way that it feels. And and it's, um, I don't want to say it's a small change, but it feels like such a singular change.
1: It's like, it's like elemental is how yeah. I'm thinking about it. It's, yeah, like, it's like a, a fundamental change that is, you know, just one element of the
0: terrain is different, but it's such a big element that it really stands yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It makes me regret that I mean, we have no plans to reset the Citadel, even with 118. Um, There might be a point where we decide we're going to teleport a couple thousand blocks away or a 100,000 blocks away and kind of like do a faux start over sort Mm -hmm. of deal. Yeah. Um, But the problem with the Citadel is that when we set it up as very busy adults, we set it up with small biomes. Um, I think that this kind of generation would sing if you change the world gen or had the ability to change the world gen of the in the new layout to large biomes yeah and we'll uh, we'll get into the
1: microbiomes yeah. issue a little bit yeah in yeah. in the discussion Let, let's just roll straight into that now sure. i think because yeah, yeah, yeah we're already kind of like skirting around what we're, we're going to talk about here um so yeah to, to, to briefly answer cosmic's question myself i think Uh, the sort of changes I had in mind for Caves, absolutely. Like, I think they've delivered what they said they were going to do for Caves. They've also delivered us this whole other thing (laughs) that I wasn't expecting. But it's like, you know, you're you're expecting a parcel and they bring you like six parcels. (laughs) Um, So so let's talk about this. So terrain generation is one of the the major features that has changed. and, And it's not just the below ground stuff. It is this... Elevation change. My first impression of this was wow, there's a lot of hills all of a sudden. And I still kind of feel like there are perhaps too many, or like maybe I just don't have enough experience of it yet because my first instinct was I want to stay in a relatively flat area to establish a base, first of all. I I was projecting this into a longer survival experience than I actually ended up giving it. Uh, But I. I found a couple of, like, wider flat plains, a couple of forests like that, but I found that the the terrain elevation changes were so frequent that it felt like exploring a completely different landscape, and that's a good thing, but I do wonder if that might alienate people who are more used to the way Minecraft feels right now, and that this change seems a little too extreme to some of those folks. Um, at the same time, I feel like I might be gravitating towards the hills because they were new, so I was you know, heading over there to check them out and seeing a lot more of them as a result. Um, Mm -hmm. And the main thing that really strikes me about this is how much feedback I've been getting from people about what this means for building. And from some comments I've seen, some people love building with terrain and get inspiration from, oh, that hill is massive. I bet I could build a fort on top of there. And then, you know, the town could kind of cluster around the base of this hill. And there are some people who, prefer everything flat so that they can just build a sprawling you know project and this doesn't seem like the kind of thing that they want to spend a bunch of time taking down all of the terrain um and so the the ability to customize the world to their own desires varies dramatically um so i i think it's it's really interesting that they've taken away the the concept of there being you know a hilly forest biome as its own separate thing and just like maybe this forest Generates on a naturally formed terrain hill, uh, and it, it kind of has a different classification at the end of the day. But I, I think the landscape feels like I said, like a really bold change and one that stands out to you instantly as something new for this snapshot.
0: Yeah, I it, the experience of of walking around. I mean, sure, the big mesa mountain that I saw right off the bat was was cool. Uh, An extreme, but as I walked around more and started walking through forests and up the hills of forested badlands and stuff, I just loved how many trees were on the banks of these hills. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really felt like a lot of the more jagged places that I hike around the province. Like it, it was like this feels like wilderness. This doesn't feel like, like a, I'm four blocks higher than I was before, and there's a lot of trees. You know what I mean? Like I just, if you look at a taiga forest. Uh, in the game versus what I experience in like a a, an evergreen forest around the province like it's it's very different there's lots of hills Uh, and I I feel like to your point what might be construed as too hilly I don't think they have anything in between in the snapshot yet Mm -hmm. Uh, because the other thing that I see when I'm traveling on the highway in the province is a lot of rolling countryside yeah not hills necessarily but like not flat either and that i didn't see a lot of in the snapshot like flat places were planes they were pretty flat uh then the hills next to them were pretty hilly they went up you know 5 12 blocks easily very quickly there wasn't a lot of just like that r- gradual um i'm not even sure what you want to call it not a parabola but like a a nice sine wave like low and slow roll for a long distance uh which i think they could do with the way that this terrain works now uh, which would be very very cool, especially if you have like a plains rolling into a desert or something like right? yeah. that, or into 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 a savanna and then into a desert or whatever. Like I feel like that would work really well. Um, but I I really noticed the the way that the biomes and the uh, foliage was laid on top of the the way that um, the terrain was working really impressed me. I I don't have a screenshot, but I ran into a mega taiga that was basically it looks like the kind of things that you've seen in like pictures of british columbia or uh or in um oregon northern oregon in the u.s where you've got these huge redwood trees that are on cliffs and hillsides and and if you've seen any films from that area then you kind of know what i mean and it was great like these massive trees that are already you know 40 blocks tall are sitting on top of 40 or 50 block hill so like (laughs) when you're walking up to them you're like oh my gosh this is almost 100 blocks tall this environment it's really cool it's it's awe-inspiring and i feel like the way that they've applied it to everything it increases the depths and the contours and rivers it increases the um the the hilly nature and the jagged nature of cliffs and seaside cliffs and what I walked away with was an impression that it makes Minecraft feel a lot more like a 2021 game.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would agree. And I, I'm absolutely on board with your thoughts about there being more gradual rolling landscapes in some of those biomes. I think, if anything, it requires the biome's footprint to be larger, especially if they want to reach the same height, but with a more shallow uh, slope. But I've seen a couple of screenshots that have terrain like that. It seems just like more the, the exception than the rule right now um and i think the problem with this snapshot which is a problem that i think is already being weeded out slightly by by henrik and the team uh is that the biomes feel small and jumbled in some places especially where you found quite a large example of a badlands plateau but i found some where they were just a tiny slice of terrain separating a hill and a jungle and it needed something hilly to throw in there that was going to be affected by the elevation, and so there was maybe a five block wide section of terracotta before it rolled down into a jungle. And so those biomes felt like a little bit unnatural, even though I feel like the natural world still does stuff like that. If you ask anybody who lives in an area with that kind of, you know, badlands style terrain, things like that do happen. You get snow in, you know, plateau areas because of it being a height thing and you know Mm -hmm. that that's that's how temperature works in the real world but then you know we we tend to look at minecraft as fairly separate from the natural world in terms of how the terrain generates it's its own thing um and i think those microbiomes probably shouldn't be eliminated entirely because i find minecraft is often at its best when it's being quirky Um, But also I think some consistency in the terrain allows players to know what to expect a little bit more and it feels more comfortable to them than alien to them at that point. So I do like that they are taking that approach kind of more seriously and that feedback seriously and they are trying to iron out some of the wrinkles in terrain generation to make the biomes feel like a little bit more consistent. It'll be interesting to see what the next iteration on this experimental terrain is because comparing two identical world seeds side by side could have very different results and i want to see like what the the differences are between the two of them um i think one side effect of the hills before we get away from this is that they make the mountain generation we've seen in the bedrock beta feel almost less grandiose which i feel like is a problem right now and may not be a problem in future because they might give the mountain sections an extra boost in elevation but i didn't find any mountains that were any higher than about y 180 and remember the, the world height is now 320 so they have 140 blocks between the the peak and the world height and maybe they're leaving enough room for players to still build a 140 block tall wizard tower but i i feel like because all of the terrain can now have this hilly variant to it It makes the mountain sub biomes less noticeable than they were in the Bedrock beta because there are now other biomes leading towards those peaks, for one thing. Um, And some of the hilly biomes being so tall kind of makes the mountain peak feel less dramatic. And one of the things I liked in Bedrock was that these mountains were visible from a distance because everything else was so flat, but they were just monoliths and i think that stuff is really quite cool it also makes them more of a destination because at that point you are going to them for you know the view and the climbing experience but you're also going for resources because stuff above a certain y height is going to generate more coal and iron and i think copper and emerald as well so there's there's going to be reasons to visit those mountains beyond just hey let me go and take a look at the world from the peak of this mountain Um, so I kind of think that those mountains should stand out more and I'm hoping that maybe a little bit of a boost in elevation for the mountain sub biomes that they've added is going to help that. I did run into a bunch of places where it was supposed to have generated some of those mountain biomes, but never got as far as a peak. So I I found a really cool basin made entirely out of meadow biomes around the outside, but then in the middle of that was a crater in which there was a flower forest and since Meadow, meadows already have so many flowers to begin with it just felt like the sort of you know cradle of all of these flowers was just in the center and that was that was really fun to to run into but it felt like it should have been building up towards a mountain peak in the center of all of that and instead there was a a valley it's cool that it can generate that way but i'm i'm looking forward to finding more enormous mountains if they go that route with the the final
0: terrain gen i feel like this is a thing because uh the one mountain that we did find with like um ice on it like so like the lofty peaks ones uh it had a snowy taiga pulled down in the middle kind of like a volcano Uh, And I've seen other, um, I don't remember which content creator I was watching, but I've seen the similar thing happen where it looks like it's going to go up and then there's like a little dish (laughs) at the start, which I mean, looks like a like made for order Minecraft base. Like, I mean, why wouldn't you want to start there? You've got (laughs) wood, you've got, you know, you've got snow for ice. You can do all kinds of really cool stuff there. Like you mentioned, you can just mine straight into the side of the mountain and get some resources because iron is going to be that high in the world now um like that kind of stuff i think is is neat but i agree that i didn't really run across any mountains that were just like holy nuggets that is just impressive like i didn't quite get there um but at the same time i was still enamored by just a lot of the more subtle things um i did notice that a lot of the rivers tended to make more sense oh yeah yeah uh, yeah including uh, a frozen river that had cut through a mountain and Complete with, like, waterfall down to the next level. And it would only require just a little bit of player work to connect it and actually have it go down to a proper body of water down below that window and the river cut through, like, a plains biome or something. Uh, Really, really cool stuff. Uh, I kind of wonder, like, I know we've brought it up on the show. I think it's something that you've been champing uh, at the bit for a, a while. And that is, you know, more realistic rivers, you know, starting high in the terrain and flowing down. And it would be really cool... To have that kind of stuff, you know, have a mountain lake that then drains down the side of the mountain into lower, lower bodies of water would be really cool if they can do it. um I think that would be would be neat, even if it's not perfect. Like that, just invites the player to intervene and make it look pretty. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I, I just- think
1: I think what you've got in this example is something like that, where a local water level has generated and it's sort Mm -hmm. of cave generation blending into the mountain like a cave carver has made this and has decided to put an aquifer at the bottom of it and then because it's a snowy biome it goes okay now all the water should freeze (laughs) and you get stuff like that and and that feels great i think i i really like that and it's not too much of a stretch to expect that that could lead into more realistic world generate river generation when they've got time for it (laughs) I i don't expect it to be in the scope of this update but It does lay the groundwork for stuff like this to happen by accident and for the team to go, okay, now how do we take that and turn it into something that feels more deliberate about world Mm -hmm. generation? I agree though. Rivers are pretty spectacular. Rivers have started to generate wider. There was a section that I thought was a lake in a forest area until I noticed that Drowned was spawning at the bottom of it. And I went, oh, this is a river biome. That's how that works. And so, yeah, there's some fantastically wide rivers. They feel a lot more like they do in the real world where you can have a enormously broad riverbed and and find that there's there's a ton of uh areas like that in minecraft now is is really quite special
0: i've got one criticism that will kind of roll us into exploring below ground in the snapshot and that is i found that the cave carvers and the cave entrances were just everywhere uh i in particular where there was water when i would jump into a river and see like hey this is a cool river i wonder what the bottom of it Ah, oh, there is no bottom of it it's thousands <laughs> of blocks deep it happened more often than not when i jumped in to cross a river and i found that that was a little bit off-putting like it's just like on one hand it's like this looks really cool but when you dig underneath the surface you're kind of like how does any of this just not cave in onto itself because it feels like the whole world was floating on sub level aquifers and these you'd you'd be like looking at a cave and go like, oh there's a crack that goes down here for thousands of blocks like it just it felt like there's no way that the jungle could even stand up mm-hmm. uh, in some cases um, now on other cases, some of the giant mouths to caves were fantastic to the point where it looked like the roof had caved in the stalagmites from the bottom had grass on them because they were exposed to the sun and and had dirt on top of them and it looked like they had been there for centuries and they reminded me of like the mario platforms in like super mario world like Mm -hmm. it was it was beautiful really really cool looking uh but then other times the 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 carvers would be like cutting into the side of something at an angle and you're just like this just feels like the whole thing would fall down and so there's definitely a balance there. And I'm looking for it right now, there was a tweet from Henrik earlier about reducing the frequency yeah. uh, of of the uh, the cave the cave entrances, I think.
1: Yeah, he said he wanted to slightly reduce mega cave entrances and gave out a seed for everybody to use to give examples for which ones are too big and should be, you know, cut down a little bit and which ones are just awesome looking and shouldn't be lost when mm. they fine tune some of this stuff. There's some crazy screenshots in the replies as well like it's really cool to see some of this stuff so yeah i think especially the ones in uh mesa badlands sort of areas because they've got those layers of terracotta they look so pretty (laughs) that i think a lot of people don't want to lose those and the spires of rock that form uh yeah really do create kind of special areas i always think that areas like that if they are more unique have the potential to become places people want to build a base like with Mm -hmm. with all of those individual platforms of terracotta you just want to build bridges between them and have that be walkways to get to different farms and different areas whereas if they are ten a penny you know if they're just everywhere then you you don't see them as being as special and so you don't feel like oh let me settle down here because it's so spectacular because you're going to find something just as spectacular around every corner and then they become commonplace um so i think yeah i i kind of agree that having stuff like that so frequently makes it feel a little bit less special but the fact that you can see Occasionally you can glance into one of these and you see a dripstone cave off in the distance or you see a lush cave kind of glowing from from the darkness inside these massive cavernous spaces is quite cool. And I've gone from having the impression that they weren't really going to start those more cavernous feeling areas until you got down below Y0 to, oh, okay, the entire world is like this now because they have the terrain height to balance that i think that's a really cool approach it's one of the the great side products and probably one of their main intentions behind making the terrain much more hilly is that now you can have a cavern that starts at like you know y90 (laughs) and and it can go all the way down into the earth that way and it feels just kind of so monolithic and monumental uh when you're exploring and you find a, a feature like that and you can yes. you can find that stuff that leads down into deep slate levels <laughs> and beyond. So you've, you've really got to watch your step, like you said, but it's, it's going to be oh. really special to find something like that. And, you know, earmark it for,
0: well, I'm going down there as soon as I've got feather falling on my boots and a decent yep. bucket of water to break my fall. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the one mountain that we found was pretty much hollow. Like it was massive inside, just kind of like underlining the... Uh, Good call to not build my dwarf base until Mm -hmm. (laughs) until 118 comes out because uh, yeah I don't want to dig that out by hand thanks Uh, especially because with the new generation the big like nine by nine pillars and stuff that you can get just look really good uh, and it would take a long time to do that by hand Um, and I like and of course like then you have the randomness of things that happen with terrain generation that you can you have to be really good at it to avoid patterns as a human Mm -hmm. you know so to have you know uh, these kind of things happen more natural is 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 very very cool i found that the medium-sized ones were the ones that were everywhere the giant like cave mouth things were uh i think i only saw two but but the the medium-sized ones were everywhere yeah Um, moving on to getting below ground uh, because i know this is something that you have a lot of experience with doing a number of of snapshot survival videos on on going underground in into deep slate worlds and stuff like that what was your experience with this snapshot compared to the other snapshots before the the caves and cliffs split
1: i mean honestly there wasn't much of a change in terms of the underground landscape like i i found it more or less the same way that i would found it previously you know i either find a a surface cave that takes me down into deep slate layers i You know dig through a wall in an aquifer and it turns out there is a cave beyond that there are a few different entrances that i found but i think in terms of the caverns and so forth the only real change is now they have these biome layers in them um and so i didn't see much change in ore generation it wasn't super noticeable it is nice to be able to run around with just a handful of torches and be able to mob proof stuff faster which we'll we'll get to again in a second but I didn't see a huge amount of change there beyond there is now a chance to run into a lush or a dripstone cave or occasional quirks of terrain generation like the sand layer that I mentioned earlier. So yeah, I I didn't find there being a whole lot of difference with the cavern layer for me. Uh, How about you?
0: I I haven't spent that much time doing it. Uh, I went down looking... uh... I think in one of my snapshot streams, but like it just, it didn't perform well. So I didn't return to it. Um, But this one, sorry, when I say that, I mean the ones in the spring before the split, but this one we were exploring and walking through lush caves and I was happily hopping from clay pool to clay pool. And I kind of said, I wonder how deep we are. And I hit the F3 screen. We were at Y zero. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I hadn't mined through a single block. And most of what i was walking through was 20 block ceilings like it was just massive Uh, and i thoroughly enjoyed the experience like we had to fight mobs around every corner Uh, i had to uh, i was mining resources because i was gradually getting iron to get myself better gear so skeletons weren't so much of a threat like it wasn't like i just ran straight down it was more of a stroll but Without paying any attention whatsoever, all of a sudden I was at y y zero. I much preferred the ooh look at that, ooh look at that" experience to mining a staircase from sixty three down to eleven. Mm-hmm. Like it was a much more um, pleasant experience, and uh, I I really liked the gradual. uh All of a sudden, you're like, "Oh wait a minute, that's deep slate. I must be at like the part on the bottom of the ground. I wonder how far this goes." Well. Therein lies the, oh, holy crap, of, like, it goes really far. And in some places, I felt like the underground was more random than the overworld. The overworld had a nice kind of roll to it in a lot of ways. I shouldn't say overworld, above ground. The surface, below, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the surface. Below ground, uh I did find there was a lot of, like, I don't want to say it sounds like a horrible way to say it but like janky holes Mm -hmm. like it it didn't make sense like all of a sudden there was just this like four by eight by twelve kind of star shape thing that went down 60 blocks and you're just like that's neat that it can do that but i'm not sure how good of an experience this would be if i hadn't seen that before (laughs) before i walked over the edge Mm -hmm. and you know it was fun to punch a zombie into it but i'm glad i didn't go in yeah and and I felt like that was happening a lot where I like, oh, this is cool. And the next thing I'd know, I would walk off something that was like 12 blocks vertical drop, I wouldn't die. But now I'm just like, well, now I got to get out of here. Like it just, it didn't feel good. Uh, and so I found like some of the holes were a little bit too often. Um, whereas I much more enjoyed the um, cheese cave. And I guess it's the spaghetti caves are the big ones. Mm-hmm. Noodle caves are the little, little ones, right? I, I guess so. I'm, I'm not sure what the distinction really is between the two. I think of spaghetti and noodles as the same thing. So Me too. I think <laughs> it's a terrible way to describe them, but they, one of them is big and the other one is very, very small, like claustrophobic small. Mm. And I don't like those ones. Those ones are just like, nope, they're not interesting to me. They're dead ends most of the time. I, I don't really find them that appealing to explore because you're just kind of bonking your head all the time. And like, I just didn't feel like that was the way to go. So I didn't, I would see one and be like, meh. I'll just keep on going down this big hole that i don't have to mine anything out of um and i i liked the experience of getting into the deep slate and and i found that um it just feels like a better transition because they've got more room to do that transition like it's not transitioning over like in the current caves and cliffs it's like in 117 one it's like six blocks or seven blocks or something and all of a sudden you've got blobs of deep slate mm-hmm. whereas with this you'd start to see tough and deep slate and iron and kind of like speckled around and then you'd be into full deep slate, it felt like much more of a natural transition. Uh, but holy heck, is it dark? Yeah. Like uh, spoiled by playing Optifine on stream and holding a torch in your offhand so you can see where you're going and <laughs> soak in the viewers. Uh, there would be lots of times so I'm just kind of like, I got shot and I've got no idea where that came from because mm-hmm. I can't see more than three blocks in front of me. 20 blocks uh, so above it, you usually, which is yeah, the, the problem. Yeah, yeah I think is that how I died? I don't remember whether I fell or whether I think I fell or whether a creeper got me, but there was definitely some moments where you heard that telltale sound of the creeper taking damage Mm -hmm. from falling because it's walking towards you. Yeah. But then you like, you look around, it's like, well, it didn't, it's not coming after me. So it obviously landed on one of those other ledges that it's like farther below or it, it, it found its own hole, you know, and you're just like, all right, well, Mm -hmm. you're fine. But like that kind of stuff happened a lot. That happened a lot, yeah, uh, in the deeper parts. I
1: feel like the problem is, you know, the the reason people avoid caving in ravines in current Minecraft generation is that creepers can spawn on those higher ledges and drop down on you. Now everything is a ravine, (laughs) so I think that's that's going to be a bit of a a fun, especially for the hardcore players. That's going to be pretty pretty special. But yeah, I think a lot of it, a lot of our approach to traversing caves is going to change. And lately, I've been doing a lot of climbing. And, and practicing climbing around using water and water buckets and not just for safe drops but also for getting back up to areas that I have uh, I know I want to go back up to and I find that traversing using any kind of like water not, not even like water elevator not like bubble column but just making sure that there is a bucket of water placed against the side of an area that I need to climb back up to is a pretty safe bet that I'll be able to make it back up there. And and, yeah, I can grab more water sources from the nearest aquifer or cave water source or or whatever. And I think that's a skill that a lot of people are going to have to adopt fairly soon because of how difficult it is to traverse vertical height in Minecraft compared to how easy it is to travel horizontally. I mean, it makes sense. (laughs) Gravity is involved. But I think unless you're bringing a whole stack of scaffolding blocks with you when you go caving, I think navigation is going to be a problem vertically in a way that it hasn't been before.
0: Yeah, there there was definitely areas where I was just like, I don't, I just don't want to bother. Like I just, I was near the end of the stream. And it's like, this is a 60 block vertical sheer (laughs) ravine that starts at Y zero and goes down. I don't know how far. And ends in a lava lake probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There Uh was lava around, not in predictable ways. And you're just like, uh, this just doesn't look like if I fall down there, I'm either going to die or I just don't want to climb back up. Like it just, it doesn't seem like it's going to be worth the effort and i think part of it was because we could sort of see with the lava and you're just like oh it's more deep slate right so you're just like so there's not a dipstone cave right so you're just mm. like well i'm exploring here to see the new stuff and i'm looking over the edge like i don't see any new stuff it just looks like dark you know so that part of it felt like it could ne- use some work um but Dark is where also danger lies. Uh, How did you find exploring with the light levels down?
1: Yeah, let's move on to this. And we probably need to wrap up soon because we are going kind of long here. I am heavily in favor of the changes to mob spawning light levels. Um, And this is primarily because I'm a builder and an explorer. I found it a lot easier thinking of things in terms of, okay, one torch is going to give me a 14 block radius of spawn proofing give or take i know it's more like a diamond than a circle but um i think it makes a lot more sense and it means you can ration out torches in a different way and a stack of torches is going to get you much further in one of those cavern layers than it would do if light levels were still the same as they were before so you know you'd have to if you're going to grid torch the place you'd have to use probably like four times as many torches to cover all of those areas in between where it's going to get down to light like level seven. Um, and I think this just makes sense numerically speaking uh, because as King B-Dogs put it on Twitter, I think it was B-Dogs, it might've been or I forget, they've both been talking about this. Um, if you have to open the F3 screen... And look at the debug information to determine whether or not something would be spawning there, that feels like bad gameplay. <laughs> and this is something mm-hmm. that I feel like people haven't really questioned about Minecraft for a long time because they thought, well, this is just the hard-coded rule that we've been dealing with for ten years, is that light level seven is the you know, the the extent below which mobs start to spawn, mostly. There are some exceptions. But um, I think now people have started to question why is that (laughs) and and I think it's it's quite a smart move there are a few potential issues with it but I think they are far outweighed by the benefits and not just for exploring using light and the fact that you know you reach a lava pool and there isn't a huge amount of danger around that because the light extends you know 15 blocks from the surface of the lava and that you know you haven't got a creeper spawning right there that's going to propel you into the the lava lake but i'm also thinking we can now light the roof of a decent size house that we built on the surface with one torch (laughs) or or the light coming from a window and we don't have to worry too much about compromising builds on the overworld based on how well we can light them to prevent mob spawning i've gotten into the habit of not really bothering to light some of that stuff and just relying on sleeping all of the time to make sure mobs don't spawn on the roofs of my builds but sometimes it still happens and i just live with it now whereas i think once we've got access to like a full range of blocks that emit light and all of them are potentially usable for mob spawning It opens up so many more options for building, for atmospheric lighting, for just practical uses of some of those things which have light but may as well not have it because it doesn't have any effect on the mechanics of the surroundings. I was looking into this and not counting different formations of candles and sea pickles and different light levels emitted by blocks that can have variable output. There are over 30 blocks which emit light. And we use about four of them. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I use torches, lanterns, sometimes for aesthetics, redstone lamps because you can switch them on and off, and then whatever solid block light source is most easily available to you, whether it's glowstone, shroom lights, sea lanterns, whatever. um, Use torches because they're cheap use redstone lamps because they're toggleable and use the solid block light source because they give off light level 15 and that's the strongest light source you have plus you can put them underneath a carpet or whatever and I feel like the reason builders don't use more interesting and atmospheric light sources is because we don't want mob spawns everywhere but now if you have single candles being able to light like an intimate build like you build a little chapel and then you put candles along like the central aisle of it and individual or just one or two candles can provide a dim light but that does block mob spawning in a certain radius around them then the artistic potential broadens so much if like the the amethyst clusters that give off light or you know soul torches and like i haven't thought about using soul torches and soul lanterns because they only give off light level 10 and you need to have them every three blocks before Mm -hmm. you know mob spawning will will stop I think the artistic potential is just off the charts once you start to introduce those and it justifies them having put all of these different light sources that give off variable light levels in the game because now we get to use that in survival and it doesn't feel like they're just doing nothing and you have to hide brighter light sources elsewhere that you just can't
0: see. Yeah, I mean, I could imagine uh, lots of creative things like ender chests, they give off light. Yeah. You know, you could now light things with ender chests. Like, it, there's just, there's a lot. And I, I mean, all I'll say is that I 100% agree without, because I'll end up just repeating a lot of what you just said. But yeah, the, the subtlety and the creativity, I think that's going to come out uh, with the 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 new light level is going to be fantastic. I am surprised that we didn't talk about this before. Uh, I know we had a lot of email about different things that you could have like a sticky flame arrow or a... Uh, super torch or whatever it is that we were trying to come up with that would help uh deal with the mob fest that was going to happen in the uh darker caves over complicating it the whole time <laughs> yeah i think well i think we just assumed that mojang wouldn't change the light level thing exactly like yeah. i just i they thought that that was too big of a change i mean mojang's like here hold my beer uh, <laughs> you know like it just it's um but yeah i think it's fantastic and to to um counter argue some of the response i've seen online about this making minecraft too easy Mm-mm. nope i can i got my butt i didn't die but i was very close a number of times yeah like walk, walk
1: uh, a mile in my leather boots and you know yeah. try mm-hmm. try to explore that cabin layer when you know it's it's not going to make minecraft too easy if you are going into dark areas frequently which you will be in this update because the entire world is a dark area really and it's not going to be affecting skylight at all it's all block light related so uh, on bedrock and java edition actually the moon actually provides a small amount of skylight uh, but moonlight is not going to be blocking mob spawns and i think Yeah, people people kind of overestimate the amount that that plays into things. I think the only thing that is made easier is not having to count as much when you're placing torches and the resource grind for making torches is not going to be as much of a problem. Uh, Really, all you need to do to make things easier for yourself on Minecraft now is to apply a torch grid to your entire area. And that sucks. That's boring. Mm -hmm. It looks dull. It just becomes how everybody lights their bases with no real variation unless you get a little bit more creative with decorating an area. I just, I, I really dislike that approach and the more i think about this change the the more happy i am with it there, there are a couple of other i think slightly more valid critiques of this um redstone torches giving off light level seven right now means they prevent mob spawns in a seven block radius and if they're used in mechanisms that control stuff like mob farms that can be a problem the counter argument to that is that Mojang has just released tinted glass <laughs> in this most recent update, so potentially we have a lot of ways of limiting light in an area now while still getting the results you want out of a redstone circuit. Uh, and redstone dust itself doesn't emit light anymore thanks to uh, you know a couple of optimizations preventing lighting updates from causing lag. Um, I've seen people mention that some blocks emit light on Bedrock Edition but not on Java Edition and that potentially being a problem. But that's a a parity thing. Um, Monster spawner blocks themselves emit a light level of three on Bedrock Edition. (laughs) So monster spawners would be blocking their own spawning. Uh, But I assume that can just be switched off now that, you know, they're, they're considering this lighting change. Uh, Blue Ice is another example that gives off a light level of, I think, five or six for no real reason in Bedrock Edition, and it doesn't do it on Java, but it's just one of those things that it kind of glows from within, making it a more attractive block, I guess. Uh, People have pointed out the Silverfish spawner in Stronghold Portal Rooms is now deactivated by how much lava is in there. Um, But again, that's something that can be tweaked. I wonder if monster spawners are maybe going to be given an exception to light level spawning rules because they you know have their own spawning conditions um i've also seen people suggest that this should be more configurable via a game rule or perhaps like a hard world generation option that you can't reconfigure once the world is live um and i'd be fine with that uh maybe don't set it too high (laughs) if you set it to 15 and mobs just constantly spawn and there's no way to stop them that might be a little difficult but um yeah i honestly think this is a really solid change my only concern outstanding from this is that i think it should only affect mobs in the overworlds are we in agreement on that because i think a lot of the nether mobs already spawn in high light levels and the nature of the nether kind of feels like this isn't something that should affect the nether it's a cavern it should be kind of dark and brooding there's fire and lava everywhere and if you think about zombie piglin farms right now we need to use magma blocks for those to prevent anything else from spawning there's a lot of good mechanical reasons i think why the nether mobs should be exempt which we don't need to rely on in the overworld as much
0: yeah i would agree with that do, uh, do regular skeletons spawn in the nether or is uh, it only wither skeletons they in, in they fortresses? spawn
1: they spawn in fortresses and they spawn in soul sand valleys you don't get them in uh, other biomes okay. i don't think right but yeah those two yeah. Uh, those two do
0: yeah, no, I agree with that because I think then it also pre- creates a, a level up situation between the nether and the overworld, right? So like yeah. if you get used to how, we'll say difficult or not difficult, you find the overworld when you go to the nether, things are going to be spawning much more frequently because they will spawn at higher light levels uh, than they would in the overworld. Um, and I, yeah, I think that that makes sense. Uh, I don't think there's really any reason to change the the way that light level spawning works in the nether. Like I don't see an advantage to doing that um especially because there's no well i would say there's no skylight there is a skylight l- like value in the nether but there's no sky yeah right so everything is always dark um to 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 say the least uh in the nether um i remember the first time i went into a nether fortress and i was just kind of like i i'm not scared of the dark but this is spooky yeah. like this is it's really hard to see with the mm-hmm. dark dark nether bricks and um, I think that deep slate has the same effect as that because it's such a dark block. It, like it, it just kind of absorbs the light. Yeah. Um, you don't you don't see as far uh, even when you put a torch down. Um, but yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I wonder what that would mean if you've got nether mobs that then come to the overworld. Like I just I don't know if there's something interesting that could happen there where maybe zombie piglin uh, are either more or less susceptible to light in the overworld. Like I don't know if that's you know, something that would translate, but it's just, and I, the thought only just occurred to me now. So it hasn't really been processed very long, but
1: yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of, um, better rock edition gold farms, the more technical ones actually rely on pigmen spawning from portals. That portal mm. ticking on and off tends to, you know, have a chance to spawn piglins. And if you just switch on and off a bunch of nether portals at once, then you create like a, a similar, uh, rate to the the type of piglin spawning you get on the roof of the nether and i i don't see that going away i don't see the portals because a nether portal block gives off a certain amount of light as well the actual portal itself um i don't see that preventing piglins from spawning because that feels like a more mechanical thing versus something that relies on whatever light level is in the area and piglins can spawn in direct light i think anyway um And so I see blazes not really being affected by this, even if some of the other mobs in the nether are. I think magma cubes can spawn in full light as well. So there's a few things that can still change up about this. But I, I do think it also broadens the options for for mojang if they want to set individual spawning rules for you know zombies spawn in total darkness but maybe enderman can spawn in light level five and you know the things that are maybe less immediately hostile to the player or just like uh, uh, feel a little bit more spooky can spawn in slightly higher light levels so it feels a little bit more invasive on what players are doing i think you can create Mm -hmm. atmosphere that way and yeah broadening the range of Uh, what players can do with light I think is a a really cool unexpected and now that I know about it my favorite change of this update (laughs) I think Mm, at this point
0: yeah the um like something like a magma cube being able to spawn in higher light levels because it's made of magma like Mm -hmm. just that kind of stuff just makes sense Yeah,
1: totally. Um, I think we're probably going to have to leave our discussion there, (laughs) because otherwise this is going to be the longest show we've ever done. But uh, we are very excited about this snapshot, I think it's fair to say. And if you are excited about this snapshot, once again, please do email in and let us know what you think of it. Of course, we've had to defer the chunk mail episode this week because we had such an exciting topic to talk about, but we will try and get to some more listener email, I think, in next week's show. Uh, For now, that's going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at the the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you get some value out of the show please consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community Where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live and it gets us closer to our next milestone goal of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout with our patrons where we just shoot the breeze about what everyone's been doing in Minecraft that month. We're currently at 261 patrons, which is up three from last week. Thank you so much to everybody who's hopped on board since then, and special thanks to our content engineer patrons, GeneralPattern82, Hunter555, JumboSale,
0: MagmaCubeDude, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at the Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. But a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them they should listen to the Spawn Chunks. And they can go listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please keep them short. Please keep them on point, And uh, use the subject line and let us know what you're going to write in about. And that email address again is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the Patreon only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online
1: I go by if You can find most of what I do at youtube.com/slashPixariffs, where I have two series called the Empire's SMP and the Hardcore Survival Guide. You might see a couple of other videos popping up here and there on these experimental snapshots and maybe diving back into Minecraft RTX pretty soon as well. I also stream three days a week on Twitch where I do behind the scenes work for all this and more. And I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search.
0: Aside from that, I'm at PixelRiffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, at thecitadelcafe.com. This past week, Luke and I talked about the season finale of Loki, as well as some of the new games we picked up on the Steam Summer Sale. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media, and of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am building 117 farms right now in uh, the, the Citadel realm, and looking forward to doing some more artwork online. Thanks for visiting the
1: Spawn Chunks, the world outside is infinite, and does it seem taller to you?